Welcome to Casual Citizen, Season 2, Episode 2. This is my ongoing series about Star Citizen by Cloud Imperium Games. I'm your host, Alisiana from alisianasworld.com. This episode's topics include The More, The Merrier, True MMO Style Persistence, Pyro, Size Matters, Other Worlds, Night Bus Fan Fiction, Pod City, Shifting Sands, Part 2 of 2. Please sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Begin Transmission. In the post-Odyssey expansion world of Elite Dangerous, Star Citizen has seen an influx of players introducing themselves on Reddit to the Star Citizen community. Naturally, we're more than happy to welcome them. I don't see any reason for either fanbase to take a competitive stance. Fun is 100% subjective. You like what you like, and I enjoy what I like. Being in disagreement doesn't make either game bad. I'm not into hating games for the sake of it. It's such a waste of time. Why do I care what another person enjoys? If it's legal and consensual, it's none of my business anyway. I played EVE Online on and off for seven years. To have played that long, even in spurts, means I had fun. I spent much of that time salvaging, solo questing, and exploring. War declarations dominated my time in organizations, which has a way of curtailing your freedom of movement, which wasn't for me. I enjoyed group PvP events, but not when my every session needs to account for it. I tried Elite Dangerous, but it simply wasn't a fit. After two days, I could discern it didn't bring the most important things to me as an MMO player, so I refunded it. But of course, that decision is entirely subjective and doesn't mean that the game is terrible. I didn't post about it on Reddit. I didn't go to the ED forums to post about it. Honestly, who cares? I've disliked many games over the years and have never felt the need to tell the population who does enjoy that game that I didn't. I blog about my gaming And that's where you'll find my commentary on games that I've liked and disliked, as people who follow that content come there to hear about my activity and gaming opinions. I'm always pleased to see the Star Citizen community grow. MMO success depends on having an adequate-sized player base to support the cost of maintaining the game for an extended period of time. So far, Star Citizen hasn't had that problem, But we're still years away from beta, much less an official release. So the more, the merrier in my book. There's no hate or shade toward Elite Dangerous's community when we welcome new star citizens. We're simply glad to see more fans, much like you would with anything else you enjoy. It's fun to share excitement and enthusiasm. It's natural to want to belong to a community that shares your interests. Celebrating that doesn't innately mean you're shitting on another game. Unless, of course, when you are. True MMO Style Persistence Without a doubt, 
Nothing even comes in at a close second. What I've disliked about the so-called persistent universe is the lack of persistence. I've detested the Super Mario save point behavior of getting to a station to persist where you are in the world or to retain the contents of your ship. I've always hated that the items placed in my ship are lost on a disconnect or server death. From the start of the PU, they knew they were building an MMO. So why on earth is item tracking this late in the scheme of things? I'm waiting with bated breath for actual persistence in this MMO. Losing profits aside, due to 30Ks, many sandbox gameplay opportunities will present themselves when ships and player locations persist reliably. The critical aspect here is consistency and reliability. One of the things I enjoy best is creating new roles for myself once I reach the end game. It almost always revolves around crafting and where possible, offering a unique service. In EverQuest 2, I built a decorating service that was so popular, it ended up dominating all of my game time. I created unique items by combining standard crafted pieces. I wrote guides on adding life to items with animations by layering and resizing other components. My farm wagon in Arc Age offered rides to other players who would sit on top of my crates and pay me with fuel that increased the wagon's movement speed. As a warlock and mage in World of Warcraft, we charged for portals and summons while standing around hawking our wares for the auction house. It's the different roles you can create for yourself in a mature game with good mechanics that adds that extra flavor. I know the professions I've backed via ships in Star Citizen are a ways off. Hell, they're not even on the roadmap yet. Data running in the MSR. Information hacking in the Herald. Food production on the Endeavor. Managing a hospital on the other Endeavor. Commercial transportation aboard the Starliner Genesis. Building outposts with the Pioneer. Manning a traveling bazaar with the Merchantman. However, there are other things I enjoy that I could be doing in place of my profession, except we don't have actual MMO-style persistence yet. While I don't consider myself a role player, I think of myself as my avatar when I'm in the game, and there are a few enterprises I'm looking forward to trying when actual persistence arrives. The floating noodles vendor from the fifth element is high on my list. Imagine a stylized ship floats into view. On board, it has cold and hot storage containers full of what your body craves. Yes, a specific ship would be incredible, but not necessary. Any medium-sized ship with a fast quantum drive and a convenient entrance will do. I want to load up with the various consumables from around the star system and deliver them on request. Out mining and forget water? Allie's food truck to the rescue? Doing planet-side activities and need food or med pens? Call Allie. I don't know about you, but there are times when I want to exist in a game world without doing anything in particular. Take in the scenery, converse in global chat, 
help a noob or two. The players flying their mounts above Stormwind in World of Warcraft comes to mind. We can take that to a whole new dimension in Star Citizen. Think, a roving bar that tours the star system Picking up passengers from the popular orbital stations is another activity I want to try. Passengers can purchase alcohol and snacks while chatting locally, perhaps using FOIP or having their own private conversations just taking in the view. Maybe throw in a little drunken fight club, but you didn't hear that part from me. Treasure hunts with prizes aboard the 890 jump will happen. I'll stash physical items around the ship, provide a list of what to find. Then they'll have to tell me where they found it and provide the article to turn it in. No sneaking in your own shit. No, ma'am. And some of the hunts will include murder mystery roleplay, something I've wanted to do for years. Why can't I do any of these things now, you wonder? Because a disconnect or a 30K will throw all the time spent setting up the event down the old toilet. It will whoosh the items I've placed on the ship into oblivion. If I DC, I'm just as likely to end up back at my last port of call versus back on my ship. No, thank you. When I have time to play, I want the reasonable expectation of there being the appropriate mechanics to support my gameplay. Spitting into the wind isn't an activity I find enjoyable. There are a host of emergent gameplay opportunities to be had with actual, traditional, MMO-style persistence. Here's hoping it arrives in Star Citizen sooner than later. Pyro. Size matters. Pyro is unquestionably the beating heart of piracy an otherwise desolate, lifeless star system crippled by a flare star, Pyro is most notably the home of the shared pirate outpost, the Ruin Station. The system is a case of criminals filling the void in an abandoned star system. Unlike the more settled Honor Among Thieves Cathcart, factions here are in constant conflict. Directly from CIG, Pyro was first visited in 2493. 24 years after the first person suspected something was there. In 2469, the watch officer of the Roustabout, an Earth-flagged tanker ship moving through the Cano system, noted an anomaly 30,000 kilometers off the transport's port bow. A detailed report was sent to the ship's corporate office, but no action was taken. 24 years later, when pyrotechnics sought new mining territories, they began reviewing old scan records when it noted the original report from the roustabout. They dispatched an explorer to the region only to formally discover pyro. End quote. Ruin Station Ruin Station is an outlaw station populated by the system's only permanent population. Pyrotechnic initially built the station as a hub for their industrial division. However, the station was abandoned after the outlook for a profitable outcome seemed dim. The name Ruin Station is a moniker earned from the location's dilapidated condition. Despite the dangers of visitors being swallowed whole by the crumbling edifice, criminals and opportunists flock to the areas seeking black market trading. 
Of importance to the surrounding more settled systems such as Stanton are the recent advocacy reports naming Xenothreat as the station's current occupants. A mere one jump point away from the highly populated star system, the denizens of Pyro can pose a credible threat to the peace and stability of Stanton. When Size Matters Personally, I've never been bothered by the travel times we encounter flying around Stanton. However, that may have always been colored by knowing that Stanton is among the smaller star systems we'll be traversing in Star Citizen. Before we had any modules to play, combing through the lore contained in the star map was my minigame. It's how Elysiana's world was born. With a background in analytics, the numbers surrounding the planned universe fascinated me. How many planets are within the universe? How many are habitable? How many asteroid belts? Which star systems have the most asteroid belts? Where are the gas giants and so on? You can find answers to these questions in an old post that I did and I'll link it in the show notes. I figured the speeds and travel times we experience now would be tweaked as the largest star systems arrive. And when I say larger, they're on an order of magnitude that is so much bigger than Stanton. I'm sure things will get tweaked, but if long rides in space aren't for you, mm, this might not be the right game. Space is big and size matters. Calculating the size as the distance from the star at the center to its furthest planet, Stanton is only 2.9 astronomical units. Pyro is 9.8 AU. That's right, it's more than three times as large. And that's nothing. We're still talking about tiny star systems. The largest in the known star citizen universe is Tamsa at a whopping 305 AU. If we consider the other distances you have to traverse, calculating the size by the furthest objects such as the jump points we'll have to use for interstellar travel, Stanton is 4.6 AU and Pyro is 13. Things are about to get a whole lot bigger. We know we'll have space stations around each of the planets, rest stops and refineries, cargo stations. To make space seem less devoid of life, I'm curious about the other elements CIG will add. Or will they take the point of view that deep space, even once humanity populates it, will in fact remain empty, devoid and desolate? Time will tell, but buckle up ladies and gentlemen, when Pyro arrives, space will be a whole lot bigger. Other Worlds New Worlds Closed Beta Feel free to fast forward if you only care about Star Citizen. If I write enough about different games, I might break it out into its own show. I'm positive you could have easily guessed that the other world I would be talking about was in fact the MMO that dominated the Twitch category being New Worlds Closed Beta. I pre-ordered it when it was first announced. Sight unseen, I knew I'd try it because I play every AAA MMO for the North American audience. Yes, it's by Amazon Games. Yes, it's their first MMO. It's here and it is glorious. The quiet solo adventure in me is in heaven. The endgame crafter, at my core, doesn't know if she's coming or going. Every profession adds value, and you can do them all if you dare. You can solo, you can group, 
You can PVP or you can mind your own damn business safe from the machinations of others. At least from what we see in the beta, Amazon was right in my opinion to adjust the PVP rule set to hit a wider audience. No matter how much they roar, hardcore PVP will always be a smaller audience than PVE style in MMOs. The active, heavily contested back and forth open world PVP A New World shows that you can have plenty of PVP without forcing it on players who don't want to partake. More importantly, when all of the combatants are here for it, the combat is more competitive versus clobbering a player who doesn't PvP and was simply out minding their own business. They shouldn't be forced into keeping escorts or playing in a party to avoid how someone else chooses to play a game. In New World, everyone gets to enjoy their own style of gaming. If you haven't been following, what makes the PvP flagging work in New World better than other attempts I've seen is that you can only flag and unflag inside a city. You must make a conscious choice before leaving town. You can't decide to punk out because you see a big group ahead of you. You can't grow false balls when you spy another player off on their own unprepared for your assault. If they're flagged, they should be conscious of their surroundings and expect that they can be attacked at any moment. If they're not flagged, you can't do anything about it. They're 100% safe from being attacked by another player. I'm giddy about the fact that cooking is essential and not just for endgame consumables. I cook in every MMO that has it, even if it's not valued. Harvesting crops, hunting meat, preparing meals makes me feel like my character is indeed a denizen of that world and there's fishing with a mechanic that I really enjoy. It's not cast and forget until you get a nibble like in WoW. It's not silly, let's play key press games matching like an arcade. It's controlling the tension of the fishing line while reeling in your catch, similar to real fishing. It was a lot of fun, and I got into the habit of ending my gaming sessions with fishing to relax, decompress, and unwind. The zones are simply gorgeous. Even without players, they feel alive. Many pockets of content to explore. For me, there's no joy in gaming more incredible than a beautifully rendered world with good mechanics, questing, and a significant freedom of choice. There's so much more I can say, but this is a Star Citizen show. Suffice it to say, it felt good playing an MMO on the cusp of being a released game. Welcome to Night Bus, Shifting Sands Part 2 of 2. The Night Bus is exiting stasis. We will be departing the station in 3, 2, 1. Shifting Sands Part 2 of 2. John. John slipped from shadow to shadow until he was across the aisle from Habakube 19. To prevent the security system from locking them out of the room, the delinquent guests had placed a metal object at the base of the sliding door to keep it open. His pistol locked and loaded, he crossed to the other side, flattening himself against the wall to the left of the door. He heard an argument brewing inside. There were two distinct voices. The man's voice was agitated and traveled from side to side as if he was pacing. The woman's voice was hushed and seemed nearer to the door. Her responses were clipped and defiant. The man. We need to find a ride out of this rat trap. That bitch is starting to smell. We need a plan before you get us killed, the woman replied. 
Don't have much time. Room money's run out. Someone might be on the way already, even in this dung heap of a station. Need to get moving. Resolved, he said, yeah, let's get moving. Pass. Rather take my own chances. Suit yourself. I'm better alone. You've been useless anyhow, the man replied. She laughed at him with a hint of loathing. Too bad you can't fly a ship even if you manage to steal one, she said smugly. There is that. Guess that means you're coming with me. No, I'm not, she replied mutinously. That's about to go sideways, John thought to himself. He leaned forward to peek through the door opening. The room was steeped in filth, with empty food and beverage containers littered around the floor. The woman had her back facing the door. She was in a stained and perspiration-soaked halter top and jeans. Her brown hair was cut short and plastered to her scalp. The man was tall, lanky, bald, and wore what looked like a prisoner's jumpsuit. He was standing in the far right corner next to the bed, inset into the wall. Blood-soaked sheets covered a lump on the bed. You wouldn't have made it this far without me. I'm calling the shots. The man raised a pistol toward the woman. A broken handcuff swung from his wrist. John had a clean shot if he quickly thrust his hand in the opening in that moment. Unfortunately, he hesitated and the man's sixth sense of being watched had kicked in. He turned his head in John's direction and their eyes locked. The man pivoted his weapon in John's direction and leapt toward the door. Whether to close it or grab the woman as a shield, John couldn't know. What he did know was he couldn't let this door close. John thrust his hand through the opening while simultaneously dropping to the ground and began firing. The muzzle of the Gemini flared and smoked with each recoil. The woman who'd been standing fell to her knees, screaming. Had she been hit? I can't worry about that now. John pulled back, using the door as cover. Continuing to advance, the man screamed obscenities as he was hit. Not taking me. Fuck you. You're gonna die. John gingerly leaned into the door opening and returned fire. Inside the room, blood splatters rained like confetti. Inches away from him, the man's body finally fell forward, his skull hitting the slab floor with a sickening crack. John vaulted to a standing position. He pressed his shoulder through the door, forcing it open while he reloaded his pistol. Station security, he said with authority. Training his gun on the woman, he shouted, don't move. Looking down at her, he doubted she'd move. She was in a ball sobbing hysterically. When the woman calmed down enough to speak, John asked her name. She didn't answer immediately. Leaning against the wall opposite her, he waited patiently for her to respond. Trying to regain her composure and pointedly looking away from the corpse on the floor, she said, Diane. Diane Shea. What happened here? This guy kidnapped you? Diane's pupils were dilated. Her voice was unsteady as she spoke. No. Not really. She wiped at the streaks of mascara running down her face. On our way to being sold off as slaves. Incredulous, John replied. Wait. What? Nah, not legal in Stanton. Not even to transport. Going to have to sell me something else sister. Tell me straight, and I'll be straight. I was in the free zone on Yulin, Banu territory, with, guess you'd call him my boyfriend. Sort of suspected he was running a scam taking bets on aerial ball skirmishes. Things must not have worked out. We ran up a bill at the hotel we were staying at. He skipped out on it and me. Her voice trailed off. And? He left while I was asleep. I got pinched trying to get out of there myself. She shrugged her shoulders. 
sentenced to three months indentured service on some rock in the Ilin Alpha Cluster asteroid belt. She inhaled deeply and shook her head back and forth. Like that shit wasn't bad enough, the assholes transporting us decided they could get more for the women if they sold us on the black market instead. The pain in her voice was too authentic to doubt. John eased up and prodded her gently to continue. Did they say where specifically? Diane shook her head and hugged herself. How'd you get here? John continued. Ronnie, she glanced at the corpse on the floor then averted her eyes again. Hatched a plan to get us all out if someone could fly the ship. She paused, transfixed by the blood on her hands. Suddenly revolted, she began scrubbing her palms up and down the front of her jeans. John's voice broke her out of her trance. And? I can fly a little. Enough to get us in the air anyway. Autopilot somewhere safe. John grunted. Diane took it as disbelief. She briefly looked up at him. I'm a dropout of many things. One of those being civilian flight training. Diane explained that when they realized the ship was stopping for fuel, they hatched a plan to lure one of their two captors into the female holding cell. Lara, an unlicensed prostitute who'd been snatched, volunteered to be the bait since she was dressed for the part. Things hadn't gone to plan. The guard was small but put up a huge struggle. I grabbed his security token and let Ronnie out of his cell. Ronnie killed the guard. Things went from bad to worse after rushing the cockpit ended in a standoff. Why she was hit and died instantly. The pilot bio locked the controls while returning fire, and Quantum jumped to here. Diane's voice was steadier. We think he also called for backup. Ronnie said we needed to run and take our chances, so we did. He grabbed what he could on the way out, anything we might be able to sell quickly. Lara was hurt. I found the med kit and a coat to throw over her to hide the injury. How many of you were there? John interrupted. Four. Me, Ronnie, Lara, and Horshi. Diane cupped her face in her hands. No one was supposed to die. I just wanted to get out of there. John looked at the bloody bundle on the bed. That Lara? Diane nodded. Ronnie sold what he'd grabbed to rent this room and get some food. I tried. Did what I could, but I'm no medic. When we couldn't stop the bleeding, I gave her all the pain meds, to stop her screaming. It was making Ronnie crazy. He started shouting and threatening to drag her off and dump her. A shudder ran through Diane from head to toe. I gave her all the pain meds in the kit and held her hand till she was quiet. You mean until she was dead? Yeah. Diane's legs were starting to cramp. She stood cautiously, raising her hands when she saw John put his hand on the pistol protruding from his waistband. What happens now? Dead people here. Someone has to answer for that. The ship you arrived on could still be here. More dead bodies. He shook his head in disgust. When you're looking for trouble, you find it, I always say. John looked Diane up and down, seeing if she had any pockets. You armed? No. I never had a weapon. I was a lookout in the cargo hold. I saw what happened in the cockpit on the remote camera. Pleading in her voice, she said, I just want to go home. Can't you let me go? They were going to. Bile rose in her throat. She clamped both hands over her mouth and swallowed it back down. Wrapping her arms around herself, she said, it's not right what they were going to do. No, it's not right. Fucking scum. He spat. Delinquent departure for this room was logged for a security check. There are bodies here that have to be accounted for. Do they? Do they what? John asked. Have to be accounted for. Diane asked meekly. 
John rounded on her. You were looking for trouble and found it. Don't you think Lara's family deserves to know she's dead? What about this Hoishi person? I don't know what Ronnie's story was, but he might have someone who'd like to know the same. He was a drifter and a thief. This was his third stint doing time, he said. Got no tears for him. Deflated, she exhaled a sigh that completely emptied her lungs. Look, under the circumstances, you'll probably be set free after the investigation. After this kinda, scared to take my chances. Know what I mean. John knew exactly what she meant. Everything would be hearsay about who'd done what. A lawyer friend once told him that if there's a body, there's a trial. People feel safer if someone's feet are held to the flame when there's a corpse. In this case, though, the ship logs could validate the story of being picked up on Yulin and a destination set for the closest law enforcement depot that was later altered, diverting them to Stanton. But the deaths here, someone might want to hide or two to make an example of or make the next person think twice. I feel for you kid. Having fun and games turned to this. He accessed his datapad and set the status of the eviction request to complete. He'd finish the official report later. This was going to be a massive pain in the ass to sort out. For now, he wanted to prevent anyone else from being assigned the case since he was already on site. John turned his thoughts to the unpleasantness ahead. He'd have to secure the prisoner and take her planet side for processing. Turning to Diane, he said, I'm going to have to cuff you. He saw panic in her eyes. I am not going to hurt you. Don't do this. She pleaded. It's not right. Not my fault, she said, her voice rising. Fuck those guys. If we hadn't stopped them, they were going to sell us. You're right. Absolutely right, but it's not my job to make those judgments, John said, moving forward cautiously. Live right, and it'll be alright. Just doing my part of the job. Local authorities will do the rest. Diane dropped her head, and her shoulders sagged, re-signed to her fate. When John was in front of her, he was ready to tell her to turn around so he could cuff her when a thought occurred to him. Where was he taking her? The local law enforcement depots didn't support the facility since Green Imperial was too cheap to pay for the contract services. He was there to evict, dead or alive, and transport a body for trespass, not process murder cases. As far as Green Imperial was concerned, Diane was definitely willing to leave. Wasn't that his preferred outcome? Mutually beneficial agreement to vacate? He couldn't imagine the ream of bullshit associated with reporting this situation. Damn it, he'd be on some rock for hours, and that's after figuring out where to take her. He reached to pull handcuffs out of his back pocket but paused mid-action. Can you get out of here if I let you go? What? Diane looked up in confusion. If I cut you loose, can you get off this station? Anyone you can call for a ride? Diane brought a hand up to her mouth. Thinking, her eyes darted back and forth. Finally, she said, no, not really, dejection in her voice. Shit. Exasperated, John said, can't leave you here. We'll end up in more trouble or worse. Grasping at straws, Diane suggested, I can find work real quick or work for a seat on a ship out of here. This isn't that kind of station. Little to no work here but lots of trouble. It's only a few steps away from being a madhouse. Oh. I should have guessed. Little we saw, the place is a rat trap. An idea occurred to her. A small ray of hope. Could you maybe help me? I'd find a way to pay you back. I swear. Not really my thing. I like to keep life simple. Don't ask favors. Don't do them. Keeps everything on a level playing field.
Oh. I see. Then just let me go. I'm not your problem. John considered this option. He wondered how he'd feel if the next he heard of her, she was a corpse. Or worse. He did believe there were things worse than death out in the cold black of space. Even if you find work, you wouldn't earn enough to pay for a place to stay while saving to get off this rock. He didn't mean to direct it at her, but there was a bit of agitation in his voice. He was exhausted and hungry. This had become the opposite of keeping it simple. That's not your problem. Do you think I was headed to a luxury hotel? Sleeping in a stairwell is better than what they had planned. Diane flinched when John took two strides and was suddenly next to her. When she realized that she wasn't his target, she moved out of his way. John entered his authorization code into a keypad on the door. A small panel slid open, revealing an LCD. John falsified an operational setting and closed it. I've set the room to inoperable until it's been repaired. I'll call the local search and rescue authority to collect the bodies. After that, you can stay here while you work on getting off the station. Diane's mouth fell open. Really? How much time does that give me? How long till a repair crew shows up? Forever. Nothing gets repaired in this asteroid cluster. The company that owns these Habacubes collects readily collectible revenue, and that's it, no maintenance crews. Shops are locally owned and maintained. But I don't advise overstaying your welcome. Lots of trouble to be had, especially on this quad. A small bit of relief came over Diane's face. She closed her eyes and inhaled. When she opened them, she looked into John's eyes and tentatively reached for his hands. John let her grab his hand and give it a shake. Thank you. I won't be any trouble. We'll be out of here as fast as I can. She crossed her hand over her heart. Trust me. I've learned a scary lesson. Out of here as soon as I'm able. Sure thing. Do right and it'll be all right. Remember that, okay? She nodded her head in agreement. How will I get in and out? Going to take you to a friend of mine. Nice woman. Get you a meal, and maybe she has. He looked at her blood and dirt stained clothes. Something you can wear for now. In the meantime, I'll get you a key card that will access this Habacube. With any luck, the bodies will be clear before you come back. Luckily, an acquaintance of mine is working search and rescue today. I'll slip in their names. He'll take the work no questions asked. Must be nice to have those kinds of friends, Diane said. John shrugged. Corpse retrieval team will clean up biofluids. That's a public health hazard. For the rest of this mess, you're on your own. John opened his datapad. You know Lara's full name or anything that might help ID her. Lara Billingsley. I think she was a runaway from way back. Maybe from Earth? She talked about old Paris a lot. The others? Sorry. No. Why she was pretty quiet the whole time. Calm compared to me and Lara. She didn't say much. I got the impression this wasn't her first run-in with being detained. What about the ship you were on? Need to see if it's still here. Looked like a rigged up cutlass black with dusters den painted on the outside. I heard them mention laying low in spider after they'd collected on us. The horror of the past events washed over her, raising goose pimples on her flesh. Diane rubbed her hands up and down her arms. Sorry, that's all I know. It's a start. Come on, let's get you out of here for a while. I'll flag the bodies for emergency pickup to move things along. Maggie. Maggie looked up from wiping down the bar to see John walking through the door with a bedraggled young woman at his side. She recognized the jacket the woman was wearing. It looked like the one she'd seen John wearing earlier.
This looks interesting, she mused to herself. When the pair reached the bar, she said, didn't expect to see you back here today. Wasn't part of my day's plan either Mags. This here's Diane. Turning to Diane, he said, this is Mags. The friend I was telling you about. Rated a friend already? Maggie said. I'll take that as a compliment. You are, and it's meant to be one. Maggie smiled. She was instantly charmed, again, even though she felt a request for a favor coming. Nice to meet you Diane. Same, Diane said in a low voice. I need a favor Mags. Happy to help if I can. John relayed the events that had happened since they'd last spoken. He hoped the retelling of it and the choices he'd made wouldn't bother Maggie. He was glad not to see any condemnation in her expression as she listened. Unbeknownst to John, Maggie would never have reacted that way. She'd been around too long and had seen too much to be shocked by what he told her. In fact, she was happily surprised that he'd decided to help Diane. It didn't seem in character for him to skirt the law, being the man of specific values and dictums. She was glad he'd bent his rules this time. Maggie showed Diane into the employee restroom to clean up and change into a pair of overalls she kept in her office. She made her a plate of food to eat now and an extra to take with her. She suggested Diane eat and rest a bit in her office while the mess was being worked out. John and Maggie were sitting at the far end of the bar having a drink. You did the right thing, I think, Maggie offered. I can give her a couple of hours a day of work in exchange for food or credits, whichever she prefers. We'll also put the word out with folks I trust. You're the best Mags. You're a good guy John. People told me you were, and they were right. You mean good guy as in violating my contract by falsifying the condition of the Habakub? Getting a stranger a key code to live there free? Lying about how I know the dead girl's name? He shook his head, thinking about what he'd done. Life's not always black and white John. She interrupted his ready reply. I know. You have your way of doing things. That's all well and good when it's possible. She put her hand on his shoulder and waited until she had his full attention. You are a good man JJ. In this situation, it was the right thing to do. John smiled and shrugged his shoulders in acquiescence. If you say so Mags. I do. Cause even good people paint outside the line sometimes. John. Sipping a glass of bourbon after closing on a Saturday night at the Red Dragon Pub, now a weekly routine. John looked forward to being off tomorrow. He was exhausted. Crime in and around Grim Hex increased as the Stanton population swelled. He had more contract offers every day. He accepted as many as he could reasonably fulfill and passed the overage on to Larry, now a licensed bounty hunter too. He smiled to himself remembering the look on Larry's face when John had given him a lift down to Art Corp to look into a second-hand Avenger stalker a dealer had in his price range. That was what? He looked at the date on his Mobiglass. Damn, 10 months ago. Time was flying by. Maggie, who sat next to him at the bar, exhaled loudly. Not sure I have it in me, but I'm going for it. Going for what? John asked, still somewhat distracted, mellowing under the effects of a full belly and alcohol. Hitting the old reset button. Maggie's statement pulled him out of his thoughts. That sounds like leaving. It is. Why? He looked around the restaurant. No significant incidents in several months. He crooked his head toward the employee area. Diane is working out which is a nice turn of events. He looked down into the drink he was holding. Noticed you even taking a day off here and there. True, she patted John on the shoulder. That's thanks to you. 
The news got around this ain't the place to get sloppy in, and I appreciate it. Maggie stretched, long and slow then arched her back. Like she was shaking something off. This isn't where I want my story to end. I've got one good dream left in me. I need to see about it before it's too late. John felt his stomach drop, and he was surprised by the reaction. Maggie was one of several clients. One too many. In fact, a contract that added complexity to his motto of keeping it simple. He'd had to weigh the needs of the Red Dragon against his big ticket contracts on several occasions. It just occurred to him that the Red Dragon always won. There was nothing between them beyond friendship. Wait, that wasn't true. Maggie felt like family now. John had given up on his solitary coffee and protein bar aboard his ship while patrolling the area to having breakfast with Maggie and Diane most mornings. When he didn't make it for dinner, a takeaway tray arrived at his Habakube to be left with the front desk after the pub closed. The last couple of times he made his quarterly trip to Hurston and Art Court for supplies, Maggie and Diane went with him. John sat with his fingers laced together twiddling his thumbs as he considered how the rhythm of his life had changed. Maggie interrupted John's inner monologue. I landed this place through a friend. We still keep in touch. Distracted, John replied, that's nice. I told him about wanting to build a pioneer type community and he's found a location I can afford. A what? That piqued John's curiosity. Not completely in the boonies, she explained. In an established system but on the outskirts where Homestead Act claims are still available. I want to build a long-term housing center. A place where people can live while trying to establish their claims. John leaned into the conversation with interest. Really? He chuckled. When I was growing up my dad wanted to homestead but was never able to raise the capital. Exactly. That's the problem I want to solve. To homestead, you need a ship with living accommodations or outpost, and all the equipment for whatever operation you're trying to run, all at once. John nodded his head in agreement. When I was in my early 20s, dad even went so far as to liquidate all the family's assets and it still wasn't enough. He stared back into his drink again. Too complicated having big dreams. He was miserable when he had to return to the factory. It's safer keeping things simple. That's too bad. Sorry to hear that. Yeah, he wasn't quite the same after. They might have stood a chance if they'd had a place to live with meals, business advice, and a shuttle back and forth to their claim, instead of having to bankroll everything at once. She shrugged. At least that's my idea. I think more people could afford to start a claim. Survive the mandatory 14 months of consecutive operation and be awarded ownership if they had a way of containing the early costs. Interesting idea, I'll give you that. But sounds extremely complex and risky. Maggie laughed aloud. Dreams always are but they're worth it. Is this a for sure thing? What about the pub? I sold it to an investor, absentee owner who's going to let Diane run the place. John's eyes widened in surprise. You're doing it alone? No offense, but that sounds insane. I've been called that before and survived to tell the tale. Maggie walked behind the bar and retrieved another bottle of bourbon. She reached under the counter and grabbed them both a clean glass. Twisting off the cap she said, is this where you want your story to end? John downed the sip floating in his glass before handing it to Maggie. Never thought about it. What I have going here works. He nodded his head to the offer of a fresh glass of bourbon. I'm looking for a partner. Not just an investor mind you. I can get that kind of easy. A hands-on partner to help set things up and provide one of the services I'm hoping to offer. He looked up at Maggie. 
She stared at him in a way that made him feel like she could see his thoughts. It no longer made him feel disconcerted. He'd learned after a while that Maggie wasn't angling for anything when she looked at him in that way. It was her motive being deep in thought. Then it hit him. Are you asking me? Maggie grinned and shook her head. Pointing to himself as if she needed that for clarity, he said, you want me as a partner? I sure do. There's no one I trust more. Her tone was serious now. John was rocked back on his heels. Leaving Stanton was the furthest thing from his mind. Not that he was especially attached to the place. He simply never considered leaving after he'd established himself and had a rhythm of clients and habits. Leave Stanton? He rolled the idea around in his head. He didn't like the idea of all the change that would be needed. That part sounded like a huge hassle. Here without Maggie? That sounded bleak. There's no interruption to his life except that wasn't true, was it? The interruption would be the absence of her friendship and advice. They didn't agree on everything but she had added a new perspective to situations that had been helpful the past year. He broke the silence that she was comfortable enough to allow to pass between them. He held up the glass she'd given him in a toasting gesture. To new adventures. Maggie clinked her glass to his. New adventures. The end. Thank you for listening. This is Ali signing off. Until next time, entering stasis in 321 and transmission.